Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. This week is our first episode that was recorded in person at Dreamation 2017, which, by the way, was an absolute blast. It was such a joy to see old friends again, finally meet some folks I've only talked to online, and to make new pals all together. I got to try out Jason Pitt's SIG, which is still live on Kickstarter, get over there, as well as some games that you'll hear about in upcoming episodes, like this one. This week's guest is Laura Simpson to talk about her game Companion's Tale. I love, love, love this game. The one-shot episode for Companion's Tale is my first Kanan appearance on the network, and it's special to me since it's the first game I ever got to play with Alex, Cat, and James. On top of all that, it's an awesome game that I've sought out to play more than once at cons, and I'm super excited to eventually own and play with my friends. It's a storytelling, map-making game that tells an epic story through the perspectives of several heroic companions, and that's just the start. Whether you know the game already or this is all brand new, you're in for a treat. Let's get to the show. Joining me this week is Laura Simpson, and we're going to talk about her game Companion's Tale, which is finally, finally on Kickstarter. I'm super excited. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Um, Hi, I'm Laura Simpson. I'm a game designer and a UX designer. Um, I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Um, And uh, Companion's Tale is a story game where the players tell the story of their hero's journey, but the hero is not an actual player. The hero is a cipher that the other players create through the tales of the hero's companions. Uh, And it's a map-making story, so as the players tell stories and add to the world, it's all documented on a map that is shared, and people are able to look upon it to kind of add to the story and also interweave uh, a whole narrative for the hero. Awesome. Uh, and then that, that genre, like that map-making, storytelling game genre, um, is, I think, the best-known game in that area right now is, is The Quiet Year, um, Avery's uh, map-making ma- game, The Quiet Year. And while we typically talk on the show about pretty straight one-to-one hacks or mods of things, this Companion's Tale is sort of just uh, like it's inspired by The Quiet Year, but also inspired by a lot of other things, I understand. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like what else goes went into... The pot that is Companion's Tale? <laughs> sure thing. Um, so a big part of uh, the inspirations for Companion's Tale are indeed The Quiet Year, but also um, it has literary inspiration as well. The Name of the Wind by Patrick Loftus was a huge inspiration in terms of how interwoven the lore was and how culture was such a muscular part of the the story. It was like an additional character. Yeah. Uh so to me, that was something that was very, um, it was engaging, and it really captured my imagination. It was something that I really wanted to place into a game setting. Um, also, the Inheritance Trilogy by N.K. Jemison, it's really, she creates these lush worlds, and there's a sense of weight that is uh, included in it, and a sense of history and, and events having causality. Not that it doesn't happen elsewhere, but I think the way that she weaves it all together really made me um, engaged and want to have a uh, a few roles that really kind of leaned on history, but also moved events mm-hmm. forward and had the sense of a breathing world um, and a looming danger. Um, and 
I would say the last thing that uh, inspired me for Campaign's Tale was hmm, there. There is uh, Avery's game, but I think a uh, a lot of different elements uh, that I would see in other games about how um, and maybe like role playing and geekdom in general, mm-hmm. where there's a hero. You've yeah. got this hero, and the hero is very important in in D D. You are the heroes, and in other games, uh, the hero is. Someone that, um, and in media, the heroes got, uh, you've got certain ideas about who the hero is, you've got certain ideas about what companions are, and mm-hmm. what type of person is what type of companion. And I really want to, um, challenge that and also kind of, um, talk about how point of view really changes the narrative and how mm-hmm. having a different point of view can have that effect and how it would. It totally changes if someone disagrees or just has a completely different background and sees it differently. So I really like the idea of having a hero that doesn't have an active voice, but instead is just seen as a reflection of these companions that people will take up. And the companions are also, they're not set fixed people. Um, I imagine as we go into it, we'll talk about how a companion is created and what makes each time you play a little bit different. Awesome. Yeah. It's so so Companions Tell it sounds like kind of a toolkit to help people tell those kind of stories that you really enjoyed so much. Yeah. I, I definitely think so. I hope so. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so how what did Companions Tell look like when you started making it? Because I oh, imagine man. it's been through some iterations. It really has. Um, so when I started, um, I, I definitely, I kind of was trying to figure out well, how can I talk about hero? But I didn't want to talk about the hero directly by having the hero be a player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the first things that I was trying to figure out is who's a companion versus who's uh, contributing parts of the world. Uh, from the beginning, I had the prologue where there's questions that mm-hmm. each player would use to generate the world. But I, after that, when I actually started getting to the actual play and in. Um, and seeing what happens when the the heroes introduced, it really was. Uh, I was trying a lot of it was figuring out. Okay, where is the hero located? Where are the companions located? Where is the rest of the world in comparison? Mm-hmm. So that we didn't really have a lot of that um, overlapping. Uh, also, there's the role of the cartographer. So yeah. this is a role that people will pass off uh, round to round, uh, drawing and interpreting what people are saying. <laughs> a big part of uh, of having that responsibility it's it's shared and i want to encourage everyone to to feel empowered to pick up a pen pick up a marker and just have at it but also to um interpret and i and when i say interpret i don't mean like um dictation i mean listening and thinking and deciding what sounds right Mm -hmm. and that kind of creates a little bit of um a little friction between players so it's collaborative but at the same time no one really has the ability to overrule another person Mm -hmm. um so in many ways uh i've seen the cartographer played um in different ways where someone was a little bit uh closer to what the uh the player that was talking said so often like asking for oh what what did you mean by that but in other instances people were a lot more um independent and kind of liberal with it and uh they would listen and they would interpret it and or when they would take up the the pen to be a cartographer they would 
recount what happened, mm-hmm. which is part of the rule set, but then they would fill in what their interpretation was. So they, it's it's something where um, players have a lot of leeway and ability okay. to impact the ongoing narrative because people will look at the map and try and build upon what is uh, marked. So it's kind of like history gets written <laughs> by people who have the pen. Um, yeah. And so in, in the beginning, trying to figure out how to n- negotiate the the cartographer and how to get people engaged and feeling like they could pass things off and on. Um, because in many games, there's a right way to do it. Mm-hmm. There's clearly a right way to do it. And I, I started thinking, okay, I need some guidelines. So that was one of the few the things when uh, at the very first playings of Pain Sale, I, I was trying to figure out what type of guidelines, what type of relationship people would have between drawing and interpreting, but also being with the hero as a companion versus being what is now called a witness. But at the time, I was calling them historians or observers. So I had oh, a, okay, yeah. Yeah, it had a lot of evolution in that particular role. Um, the historian, it started off as being, okay, you need to look somewhere else where the hero is not, uh, is not located on the map or in the, in the round. Mm-hmm. It was very cumbersome. So <laughs> it, it kind of worked, but it was one of those things where I needed something smoother. I needed something more direct. Okay. Um, and eventually... Like that, that role, it, it was all about kind of pushing other events forward. Mm-hmm. So for a while, I thought I'll take a theme card and you'll you'll add a themed event. But um, what worked out in the end uh, for that was you would instead of taking a theme card, instead of adding something like completely new, you would look elsewhere where there are other events taking place, and you would move it forward. So it really got that living world feeling that things are going on outside of people that are in the in the moment mm-hmm. so it, it's it kind of decenters the the hero a little bit not that they can't go over to these other places but it's just the idea that people have agency elsewhere yeah and events will happen regardless of you being there right. <laughs> the, the world doesn't exactly revolve around the hero yes <laughs> despite how many books and movies <laughs> tend to believe that um but it's it's um I think those those were some of the definitely places that I was really trying to figure out how to make the difference between those roles and and have some delineation. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a lore, I, lore keeper was one of the I think it's the only role that didn't change dramatically. Okay, because uh, I spent time tweaking. Okay, let's tweak the companion. How do I want to handle the cards? And um, even at the first play, you would choose the face of your companion. I um, yeah yeah. And I was, at one point I was like, no, this is not working. And someone, one of my play testers, they, they, they noticed, they, they, that person said, oh, well, I'm Oracle. I'm going to pick this girl who looks like an Oracle. And I was just like, that's like Grimace face. I was like, no. Oh, they would keep picking like a stereotypical. Yeah. Like, um, or this old woman's oracle, or mm-hmm. like, why can't the oracle be a middle-aged dude? Yeah, it's it's not like the ability to see things in the future, or mm-hmm. for whatever definition that is, is only goes to elderly women mm-hmm. or particularly young women. It's just uh, I after that I was just like, oh no, I need to I need to change that. So that's a that was a big uh, a big turning point for the game. Because yeah. um, the idea that your companion is not a fixed stereotype, it's not a, mm-hmm. a the, 
when you're rescuing someone from a castle, it's not necessarily going to be the stereotypical princess. Right. Uh, if and I like I like those ideas because it's um, it's interesting. It, it kind of feels like it adds a little variance to the world, and also it it it, it poses some provocative questions. At my very first playtest, so this is before I changed it to being a blind draw for the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which I love that, by the way. That was like one of the most fun parts of the game. I feel like was like finding out what the, our what our people looked like. I know we had a lot of fun with with the, that reveal. Yeah, I, I've noticed people get excited or be like or be surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, very first game. One thing that I really liked and that I wanted to kind of figure out how that could happen again. Someone drew a theme card about love, mm-hmm. and they they drew the lover. I'm like, love, lover. Okay. okay. I'm like, oh, this could be a, something romantic. I was very uh-huh. curious. And then the face, they selected... A, uh, I had this very old woman. Um, Ooh, okay. And she's wrapped in black cloth, and uh, and this was my playtest deck, so it's... It's not my current one, but... Sure. And... My player told this really lovely story about how, because of strictures in the land, the the lover of the hero and the hero had to part, had to be separated. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And and because each time you play, you're going to generate a different setting. Sure. Um, and because of just the number of faces and the number of roles and themes, you're going to generate a different type of companion in a different situation. So I wanted to have interesting kind of like complex and a little bit melancholy moments, mm-hmm. but also funny moments. It's a lot like I, one of my favorite cards is the bard and uh, the bard's basically just a straight up lying card. It, yeah. <laughs> the bard is fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's like, okay guys, you, you want to lie? Please. <laughs> Just tell something outrageous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, so I wanted to kind of figure out, like, how can I, like, through chance or just how can I foster an environment where you can have interesting little vignettes like that? And, or have somebody take, that people could have, uh, different companions could have a different role, um, and mm-hmm. different size of role. Some, uh, some games, the rival has a really big role with the, the hero, but it, part of it depends on, when uh, the companion's introduced, like whether it's in Act 1 or Act 2. Okay. Um, and also how people feel about their companion. Uh, another playtester has kind of like a, a lukewarm feeling about having two companions. Uh, she prefers to play with one one companion and just kind of use that companion often. So okay. it's kind of interesting to see how uh, player preferences really uh, impact how the story is shaped. So I I'm hoping that... When people get to play, they'll have those types of experiences. So I really spent time just kind of refining those roles and also mm-hmm. adding new ones. Um, Ooh, okay. The, so the lore keeper, oldest role, it's all about adding culture, and culture is broadly defined. Gotcha. Um, whereas the newest one, I would say, is uh, the biographer, because the witness is basically just kind of reskinned. Mm-hmm. Um, and be fine, but the biographer is truly the newest role. It is an opportunity to kind of to kind of talk about each other's companions directly, mm-hmm. um, but in an unauthorized biographer sort of way. So it's like uh, oh, okay. if TMZ was <laughs> covering your um, your companion, mm-hmm. and it's usually a moment of, well, yes, 
you you did say that you rescue the hero, but in actuality, and you see, it's funny, it's lighthearted, mm-hmm. um, it's also something that players can accept or reject. So that's mm-hmm. it's 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 something that um, sometimes will color how people play, and and it's fun seeing how people play with each other's companions, and it's it's really like a moment that kind of makes them feel more human. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's a limited amount of time. It's a two and a half hour game. So yeah, you have to, you kind of introduce them, get attached, and then <laughs> say goodbye at the end. Yeah. Oh, man. Cool. So the way the game is now, you've got, um, so it is a two and a half hour game, and it's very structured. You've got yeah. a prologue. You've got several acts. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's four players, yes. right? Um, oh, sure. Let me yeah. explain it. So um, it's a four player game. It can be played with three players. Because uh, you just share the cartographer role, and people would pass it along. But in general, I recommend four. Mm -hmm. And part of that is you have your prologue, and each player gets to answer a question, and they draw their response. So in these questions, um, I I thought of them in terms of, okay, how can we introduce this this world and import all the important elements? Oh, I just forgot earlier. Dragon Age, obviously Dragon Age okay. is a huge influence. Yes. <laughs> I was, was going to say, I saw that on the list. And I was yes. like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I'm, it's one of those things where I just look off the side, I'm like, I, like, I've, I've played so much Dragon Age, it's kind uh-huh. of ridiculous. I, it's to the point where I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to play, like, Inquisition again. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I just love Same. the world building. Um, this is where we turn into a Dragon Age fan cast. Yeah, yeah. Who's, it's... who's your Dragon Age <laughs> Uh, partner, who's who do you smooch in Dragon Age? Oh my gosh, who who can't you smooch? I, I uh... who do you tend to smooch? Okay, tend. Um, oh man. Well, okay. Through my first playthrough, I was trying really hard to romance Solus because oh. I was like, you know, you're kind of interesting in a nerdy mm-hmm. sort of way, but you kind of piss me off sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I totally, I, whatever it got close, I just kind of would dodge, yeah. and um, uh, I wound up with Cullen because. I don't know. He was a do-gooder. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. Actually, let's rewind that. I <laughs> I first was with um, Blackwall. Yeah? And he betrayed me. Yeah? I was so angry. I, um... Man. Yeah. I... I didn't leave him in jail, though. But I, I, I paused my game, and I just was enraged. I didn't read yeah. any yeah. Uh, spoilers, and I was just like, how dare you? Yeah. I... I... I in Origins... I Same. rescued Sen. I I I spared Zevran. How are you gonna lie to me? I am the Inquisitor, uh-huh. right? <laughs> um, so it's so delightful to feel so betrayed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, at first I was like, oh, I'll go after Solus. Oh wait, but Blackwell's so nice, but he's kind of weird. But that's okay. And it's then probably betrayal. nothing. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> yeah. No, I was enraged. Um, then uh, let's see. Then Cullen, because I was like, no more. I I need. People who are exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> you have a learning problem. We'll work through it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then let's see. On a replay, um, I, I I said no. Okay, enough is enough. I am going to go after Solas. Mm-hmm. He's so irritating. Yeah, he's so irritating. Yeah, he's the worst. Yeah. So I won a Iron Bowl. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. No spoilers on like Trespasser, but mm-hmm. yeah. I, I made it through. Good. Um, yeah, that got scary. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but it, so yeah. In and in Origins, I it was 
Severin, um, uh, oh no, Alistair. Mm-hmm. Although, Alistair. Yeah. Uh, oh, Leliana at least once. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so awkward when, um, in Inquisition when, uh, the Princess of Navarra, like, the... Oh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. The most unprincess-like princess, which makes her my favorite princess. Oh, Cassandra. Yes. There, okay. I was like, it's right, I can see her face. Yeah, I can see her face. Yeah. Like, so my character, I guess, was flirting with her. Mm-hmm. I I was like, we're besties. I'm going to totally hang out with you all the time. And uh, so she was like, um, stop flirting with me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I offended you. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. But wait, are you sure? <laughs> no. But, you, you want to take some time to think about it, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is a beautiful thing. But, um. Yeah, she won't have it. It's no, she's having none of it. <sighs> like. It was one of those things that stung, because I was like, oh, I, I didn't mean for it to go like this. Um, but I, I really, I really adore it. It's, yeah. it's so much fun. Um, I think I'm going to roll up, uh, maybe, I'm, I'm roll up a character in Women's Dorian next. Because, yeah, Dorian's really interesting. Yes. And, um, I, I usually roll up ladies, so I, I, same, yeah, I, because I want to yeah. be a lady wearing armor, right? Exactly. Uh, like that. Thank you, Dragon Age, for letting yes. me do that. And I wear pragmatic armor. My armor's mm-hmm. the best armor. Um, because it protects me from things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. Cool. So everyone is... is <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just... I, I'm just going to romance everyone. Good. <laughs> and uh, for the next one, can you please make everyone romanceable? Yeah. I'm just saying. Just, just all they, of it. Just all of it. Like, so I could just go romance yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, so I, I can't believe I spaced on that, because I was just thinking <laughs> about it earlier today. Yeah. <laughs> just frequently, just multiple times a day, yeah. I'm just staring in really... space thinking, like, man, <sighs> I really want to roll up a different character. <sighs> oh, almost yeah. met Sarah, but didn't. Yeah, it's, same. It's like... one of those things where I'm like, you're, sometimes you're really awesome, Sarah, but sometimes you're super yeah, <laughs> uh, keeping our friendship so hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, I, I, some of the things that just to kind of draw from Dragon Age a bit, some of the things I really did like was that um, it was mostly acknowledgement that people have desires and yeah. and they have passions and um, and that's it's interesting and engaging and it's um if Alistair was my only option I'd be pretty disappointed in mm-hmm. Origins I'm just saying so mm-hmm. it's it's really nice to have additional options but n- not just that to kind of see that other people have relationships and that they they're engaged in the world around them yeah they're not all I just just there to serve the character mm-hmm. and in a and I mean it in a sense where they have no other desires outside of the desire to travel with you. I'm like, that's, that feels weird. Right. And it doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel like it's a, uh, like a, a fully actualized person. So I kind of, I, following a lot of those steps, I really, I really want to see that happen. See people yeah. have those feelings and, and to, I think. I think one of my favorite... There's a lot of favorite games for different reasons. But mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite games... Uh, we were playing a variant. 
it's lover's tale. It's all about at one point everyone was a lover of the uh, the hero. So um, that's right. Yeah. So so all of those are which what what are some of the companions that you get oh, in companions tale? So um, you you might have a mentor of the hero. You might have a protege of the hero. Um, you might have a rival nemesis. There's a monster that's an outsider. Oh, cool. So it's interesting to kind of play with those. The monster to play with the idea that of who you used to be and what mm-hmm. you are now, and and people usually keenly feel that loss of mm-hmm. person uh, personhood because uh, on the card it says uh, you know take your face card, but then turn it over, and uh, that's who you were, but you're a monster now, so it's oh. very different. Uh, the outsider, whoever winds up being a person who feels like they're outside the society, and and um, and. Imagine all those becoming the the lover. I basically yeah. pull out the lover card, and I pull out the firstborn and set that far away. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's totally in the rules, guys. Far away. Yeah. Um, and the lover card's just out because every single one of you occupy that role as well. And then it becomes kind of interesting. It's uh, in one of the very first plays of uh, that variant, there was uh, kind of like a, a banter between uh, the players about talking about another romantic partner and they're like i don't know what they see in this person i think uh i think that character the third character was like a um, a mer a merman okay and i'm in and, <laughs> yeah and, and they're like i mean there was so there were so many fish tank jokes it was just oh, good. hilarious and um it kind of it was fun because it it, it felt uh it felt very tangible and real, and it feels modern to me to hear people discuss things like that. It's not sexual conquest. It's yeah. more of, hey, yeah, so nitty-gritties of relationships and people just kind of dealing, right? So I, I really found that interesting and engaging kind of fun, and I think it's a fun variant. Um, it's actually one of our first variants that's going in as our, yay, we made our Kickstarter. Nice. Um, <laughs> so... I'm really excited about that. And uh, let's see. There's there's that. There's an oracle. I, I like the idea of the oracle because... Um, so the oracle, it's it says you see more than most. So mm-hmm. it's not even I'm a mystic oracle who sees in the midst of time. It's just... It could be someone who's just a little bit sharper on the ball, notices things, mm-hmm. and um, it might call themselves an oracle. I like that there's... there's a There could be room for interpretation and play. And there's this... Um, this space where you can just interpret and bring your own experience into the game space, Mm -hmm. which uh, I think is really enriching. And it's an opportunity for players to uh, kind of have a lot more uh, interpretation and direction of play and uh, a a larger say in how things, what type of outcomes they would see. So I, I really enjoy that. Awesome. So I expect, I figure that you have playtested this a lot. This, yes. <laughs> played this a lot. I feel like every... Uh, we're live from Dreamation, by the way. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I, I feel like uh, every... Almost every one of these events I've been to in the last... However yeah. many, you've, you've been running yeah. some version of Companion Stuff yes. for people. So that's oh a lot gosh. of a lot of plays it's of this a game, lot. and I've been playing it out, like outside of mm-hmm. the convention space at like house conventions. Um, I think I once I went to a friend's bachelorette party, and I I started teaching people how to play it there. Oh, very cool! <laughs> so it's um, oh, I want to yeah. hear how the bachelorette variant went. Like. <laughs> 
Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I I assume that there are some things that people do when they tell these stories that mm-hmm. are like leaning on tropes that we know pretty oh, well. Like yeah. like that the same things come up a lot. Are are there any of those that um you weren't expecting? Like Oh. I think I I given just kind of the like uh, there's a lot of uh game designers that come to Metatopian Dreamation mm-hmm. and, and uh it's really uh, interesting how often there's um I don't I guess I didn't expect that at the time necessarily as much but sometimes there's a push and pull over whether the like whether the, what the gender hero the hero oh. has or occupy okay. um and and that's interesting, especially in a setting where I, 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 I blatantly set up, I'm like, you're not, you, uh, you can disagree with each other, mm-hmm. and you could disagree by making up your own facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say the first person who says the hero is male or female or another gender um, is, is right. Yeah. Because also you, I think that sometimes it's, it's interesting to talk about things where people might think they understand something about someone mm-hmm. and they don't actually understand that about them. Or maybe they, they, their understanding is different than someone else's. Yeah. So uh, I I like letting people kind of speak about their understanding of the hero, what they understand the hero as, mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of building upon that. And sometimes I think one game I was playing in, it was pretty tense in that regard, where... We had uh, the firstborn saying, I don't know why people keep saying my mother was a man. And huh. then other people who were very adamantly saying, well, he did this for me. I was like, oh, that's... like that." And, mm. and it it didn't last very long, but it was kind of... It, it was one of those moments I was thinking about. And, um, because after every session, I'm thinking, okay, what can I do to improve? What what happened during yeah. that play test? What how were people reacting? And I I take notes through it, and I'm looking at how people are reacting to each other, but also mm-hmm. game space and the game, and and when especially when it's their turn or they need to do something, how engaged they are. So I I, I was watching, I was thinking, oh, maybe I should do something about that. But I thought about it more, and I thought, well, I. I'll keep watching. I'll keep seeing how people play with this, how they, um, how they're going to define the hero against what they think a hero should be, or in this context of what they think a hero will be. And for the most part, it it really is interesting. And what emerges is very. It, it becomes just kind of like a collection of these soft ideas that kind of intersect, but not always perfectly. And I feel like that's something that that feels closer to a person in terms of how different people would see the, the same person. So to me, having, even if it's something that is that feels like it's really far apart, having those uh, traits kind of meld together could be really interesting and engaging yeah. and makes just, you know, makes a different hero. Very cool. Thanks. Yeah. We did get a listener question that I know you've thought about a little bit. Yeah. Um, Taylor on Twitter... To, uh, Riverhouse Games was curious about the map making aspect of the game and um, if the the medium that the map is done in, whether it's like markers or crayons or mm-hmm. online on one of the like Roll Twenty servers mm-hmm. or something, if you've noticed if that changes like the tone of the story or or any anything really about the story, I'd be curious to know if that sure. if that changes. Absolutely. When I started playtesting, there's those uh, foldable maps. Mm-hmm. So. Um... 
it was like a noteboard. So I would take, uh, I would bring those with me everywhere. And um, the size kind of mattered. People would draw smaller, usually how much I folded out. Mm-hmm. Or it would get to a point where they're kind of around the edges. Um, they've expanded all the way to the edges. And then I'd pull out more. Yeah. And usually, and that was kind of, uh, it really encouraged them to kind of think about how they want to scale things. Also, so there were a lot of rules about how that, like, a lot of rules around the map that kind of have evolved and also guidelines. So at first, people would name, try to name the hero. They would try to give a name to the hero. Mm-hmm. And they would try to give a name to the um, the companions. And out of that, it, a lot of people were like, well, what's the name of your companion again? And, oh, I don't think the name of the hero really is this or something like that. Um, and I found it kind of... Like, it was a little bit distracting. Yeah. Um, so I started encouraging, hey, why don't you just name places? If you ever name a place, that's fine. You can label it on the map. But uh, let's not name the actual companions. We'll mm-hmm. just refer to them by their archetype. We'll refer to the hero as the hero. So that kind of changed a little bit the map. Also, uh, another guideline I had was, like, there's no north. So you don't have to worry about mm-hmm. making it directional. So people would just kind of turn it around, grab it, and, and start drawing. And also the idea that culture so so you'd see notes being drawn Uh or like people dancing and lots of stick figures so there's a lot of stick figure drawing which Mm -hmm. i really like thank you guys for drawing stick figures (laughs) and not worrying about it because at first a lot of people would worry but that that was kind of a a evolution of don't worry about it Mm -hmm. just put it down um so you would see bits of that one thing um so i started drawing race markers it would uh, and it was only in black, so people would draw, and you'd kind of see things, and it was all right. At one point, I brought in, like, the green, red, blue ones, and you start seeing a code, a, like, a, mm-hmm. like a, a, a kind of a legend kind of drops out, like, as a visual representation where you would see um, there would be a certain color of sword that you would recognize the hero. Uh, so people would draw the hero, and then they'd draw, like, uh, I think, like, a green sword in the hero's hand, Ooh, okay. and that's how you knew that was the hero. And then there was another figure... It was this woman of the woods, and this yeah. was an incredible like game. I still think about it, where the woman of the woods would uh, always have a red cape, I think, and mm. so you'd see these characters and people color code certain areas, and it it started to really kind of create a sense of these are the important things and how people organize them or mm-hmm. things that really spoke to them. And in that game in particular, and this didn't happen in games prior. At one point, someone got. Uh, the outsider, and at this point, you were doing the random draw for the face, and they looked at it, and they were like, and the woman of the woods became a companion. Oh, nice! It was so exciting. I I just kind of like yeah, I oh. I was so excited. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> and and that really became something. That I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is something that I feel like is my preferred way to. Run. Run it with a dry erase board and mm-hmm. multicolor uh, markers. Mm-hmm. There are some pragmatics to it, like uh, you need to erase your whiteboard immediately, otherwise you're gonna be really sorry. <laughs> yeah, like six months later when you can't erase it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> then, um, so that's one big thing. I've also played the game with pencils on varying shapes, uh, sheets of paper, mm-hmm. like just varying sizes. I think as long as you could erase it, that's the most important thing. If it's, oh, okay. yeah, if it's not erasable, um, sometimes people will hedge away from making a change. And um, I want to encourage people to make changes. Make, like, this world is going to change. It's, okay. it's, it's going to um, mount up in tension and something is going to happen around Act 3. So 
a big part of it is uh, you want people to feel comfortable erasing something. Is there anything else that we should touch on about the game itself, oh. or do you want to talk about the Kickstarter? Um, let's see. Uh, one of the... I know you brought notes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to make sure we didn't I miss anything. Notes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I th- My favorite. <laughs> I try. So, oh, I, I guess I, I talked about how the pain is made, but... One of the things that I find really enjoyable about playing the game mm-hmm. is finding out which companions show up in the game, because uh, not every game is guaranteed to have a lover, and it gets interesting when it like it shifts the tenor of the game a little bit, depending oh. on who shows up. Whether it's like a, okay. if you have a protege, maybe it you now you've got this mentoring relationship, and there's this idea of uh, even generational exchange and like, some type of change. Well, mm-hmm. uh, same thing when you have a mentor, or it's, like, a coming-of-age story. Um, when you have an oracle, you've got this idea of duty being passed down. Lovers, you have... There's a lot going on there. Like, some people will kind of... Uh, if there's the absence of a lover, they'll just kind of, like, deputize somebody. But often, when they're a lover, there's this kind of... There's, like, a romantic element... And it's interesting because it all reflects a lot of the players. It's a, it's kind of like holding a mirror to what you think is interesting yeah. and what you think a heroic story is about. So it's very self-reflective. So that's actually okay. something I really like about the companions. Okay, yeah, because you do you do pick um, your companion from a selection, right? Like yeah, that's that's a choice. The the face and the themes and like those aren't, but but yeah. you do. But it is up to the group to kind of determine who who makes it into this story yeah so okay. you would set up you would lay out uh four uh companion cards so it tells you what your role is mm-hmm. and people choose one and they replace it uh the themes they draw two cards and they discard one so okay it's a little bit limited in terms of what your situation and story might be about and then the face is completely a blind draw yeah so you have the most power in terms of which companion you want to portray uh, because you're able to see the most options, and you can choose, and you can choose to leave certain companions by, mm-hmm. uh, behind. Are there are there companions that are frequently less chosen um, that you know of, or are they? Hmm. I think it depends on the story. Okay. Uh, sometimes people leave the bard until Act Two because the mm. bard's just it's a it's about lying, so you might yeah. you might want to hold off. I th- I think the lovers often chosen mm. um, yeah. because most people. Like, who doesn't want to see a love story, yeah. I guess, right? Uh, it's interesting when I see the monster and the outsider chosen. They, I think they get chosen at, a, like, a, a good frequency. Mm-hmm. Um, Patron sometimes gets left behind. Um, depending okay. on when the card shows up, but also how people are feeling about the story. Okay. Yeah, you'll get, like, oracles and mentors yeah. in, like, the first act because it feels like it's the right time to introduce someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and later on, you'll, like... the more of the outsider, the bard, and and the monster. The monster really is kind of helpful near um, Act Two, and then Act Three you reincorporate these companions. So you're you you pick one in Act One, you pick another one in Act Two, and you have two companions. And in Act Three you choose one of them to kind of be at this climax of the story. But then in epilogues you you tell both you could tell both of those epilogues. It's oh, up nice. To you. Yeah. So you'll in general you'll have. One pain that gets um, a larger role in the mm-hmm. story, and a pain that gets a smaller role. Nice. Yeah. Um, oh, one of the other things I was wanting to ask is, so Companion's Tale has been, obviously, about 
the companion since the beginning. Was it always a, a map making game? Uh, yes, it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, a lot of. Uh, I really like the idea of kind of building things. Maybe it's because I have a terrible memory for things. Ah. Oh, um, <laughs> I can remember lots of cartoons from the nineties, mm-hmm. but something that happened, I don't know, a few turns ago. Yeah, mm, that's kind of iffy. <laughs> so, so I love the idea of keeping like a collective memory in the map. Cool and. Allowing people to build off of it. I also love how looking back on some of the maps I've been a participant participant in, like it's indecipherable. Months later, like, <laughs> like it's super helpful at the time, but yeah. then I go back, I'm like I don't even know. Yeah. It's just it's uh, there's lots of uh, oh lots of people draw trails. So you kind of uh. you're like okay, so somebody went from here to here, mm-hmm. but. <laughs> not sure what happened oh there's a bird person mm-hmm. there's a bunch of them over here i guess something happened with them um but it's um it's definitely something that in the moment it kind of brings something cohesive in it it's mm-hmm. it's like um it becomes a memory for the the group but uh after that it's kind of well it's up to people who remember it and how they'll tell the story yeah, it, for anybody who has never played a game like this before, it's not just like a map like you're thinking geography. It's it's these complex ideas people are trying to get down on on this page in front of them that it doesn't I mean everybody always figures out some way to do it. It's just however how literal it is is uh, <laughs> is always interesting. I feel like to see Oh, uh, I don't know if you had anything else on your list, or if we should... Uh, maybe we could just talk about the Kickstarter. Yes, there's finally a Kickstarter. Yay! Companion's Tale is on Kickstarter. It's funded, isn't it? It is. It is funded. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Which is great, but you should still back this Kickstarter because yes. this is a great game. We're building more content. Mm-hmm. Um, now that we can guarantee we'll actually be able to give you the game, yeah. um, we're making additional content for additional modes of play. Um, uh, a couple of backers have mentioned that they're interested in two-player play, which mm. I'm interested in because sometimes it's just two of you. Yeah. Um, and we've noodled around with some of the roles, but as a as a stretch goal, we will figure out two-player play awesome. and include it in the book. So um, all, all of our stretch goals will be included within the actual playbook. So when you get your box and your cards mm-hmm. and your book, it will have not only the baseline game, it will have all these stretch goals and oh, also good. the upper level tiers. So it, these yeah. all become a permanent part of the uh, ecosystem of Pansdale. Very cool. Yeah. So there are, there are, I don't know if they're still available, but there are some, some higher level tiers where you can make a companion or make, make cards. Yeah. Um, so you can make a theme card. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make a, um, you can make a companion card. So you can make a different type of companion. Mm-hmm. You could have a custom scenario written for you. Also, there's a top tier where you actually make, you get a face card. So Daphne Hutchinson is our uh, illustrator. Mm-hmm. Uh, she illustrates beautiful cards. And you would get to be a part of the game forever as a companion's <laughs> yeah. face. And also <laughs> get all the other things. So it'll be your face when somebody draws the card and goes, oh! <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> or yes! Or yes, yeah. Have an impact on people's lives forever. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's pretty exciting. I, uh, I'm i really deeply appreciative of all the support people have been showing mm-hmm. and excitement. So I'm just uh, looking forward to 
delivering this uh, game yeah. and having people play it and, and tell me about their stories. I, I really want to hear about everyone's stories. Yeah, that is the most fun part, I think. Like, I, I'm so glad that you run it at all of these, because then I'll run into people who are like, oh, I just played Companion's Tales. Like, tell me everything right now. <laughs> like, I need to know. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's so much fun. And listening to people um, get engaged and really try to, um, to include just kind of their, a little bit of how they how they think about certain questions. Like the prologue questions are very much about kind of creating something and feeling like this is something that is going to become a bedrock of the world. So I yeah. really, I really enjoy listening to people create the world and then just kind of move things along. That's cool. That's, this is such a good game. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. I think, is that about it for the Kickstarter, I think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, it's going until um, uh, near the end of March. you got another month. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Oh, so we'll, yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes, of course. Um, yeah. That will be there. And where can people find you online? Oh, oh okay. So I'm uh, on Twitter all the time, <laughs> um, tweeting about everything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I'm at LabMouse. Just the way it sounds. So L-A-B-M-O-U-S-E. And uh, let's see. I'm also on G Plus to a lesser extent. Um, uh, my game imprint is Sweet Potato Press. Mm -hmm. So it's sweetpotatopress.com. And you can get news about uh, us coming to conventions, if we're releasing anything, mm -hmm. um, anything new that we're working on. And I'm always happy to kind of talk about games or mm -hmm other nerdy things. Oh, Dragon Age. Um. Oh my gosh, Dragon Age. <laughs> like, yeah. we could talk about Dragon Age forever. Yeah, and we will. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. I really am so excited and I love, I love talking about the mechanics of the game because yeah. it's, I don't know. It's like, really cool. I like it so much. <laughs> Huge thanks again to Laura for being on the show. Her links in the Kickstarter info are in the show notes. I can't express how thrilled I am her efforts are finally coming to fruition. Go get this game! We lost about a minute of audio there at the end of Taylor's answer, but my hazy post-con brain feels pretty sure it was just reiteration of the answer and about 30 seconds of me going, Oh no, the laptop is asleep! Such is the glamorous life of recording on the road. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier on Twitter at ModifierPodcast or at the headquarters at ModifierPodcast.tumblr.com. You can send comments, questions, or contribution suggestions to ModifierPodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes, as that helps more people find us. Modifier is a proud member of the OneShot Podcast Network, an amazing family of RPG podcasts that includes incredible shows like OneShot, Campaign, Backstory, and Talking Tabletop. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at catgreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then!